Morning, Center Point Church. How are we doing? How many of you guys weigh at least one pound more than you did last Sunday? I, I said in the first service, I on the scale today, I weighed 1.6 pounds more. And I do count points. It helps. Uh, than I did last, last week, and that's probably because I ate uh, pumpkin pie. I just had way too much. That's the bottom line. Parker made us, uh, for those of you that know Parker, he made us a homemade pumpkin pie, and then my wife made a pumpkin pie. And so that, that's the, the culprit. But we had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that you did too. I uh, hope that you are enjoying starting to get your decorations out for some of us that are kind of in the closet lovers of Christmas that listen to Christmas music in July and August, and now we can kind of totally come out of the closet, and we can get all the Christmas stuff out, and nobody's going to make us feel guilty for listening to Christmas music, and so this is a good time of year, and, and during this time of year, now that we've had Thanksgiving, and then we, we move into Christmas, one of the things that we also begin to move into uh, is we begin to think about the new year. And around this time of year, as we're getting ready for Christmas, and then we're, we're looking at a, a new year that's about to be upon us, we begin to set maybe some, some goals, or we begin to think through what next year is going to look like, and maybe some things that we want to see different, some goals we have. And so there's all the ordinary goals that people will have, and they're, they're starting to think about it even now. They're starting to think about, you know what, next year, as soon as Christmas is over, I'm going to start exercising more, or I'm going to start to manage after I spend all this money that I don't have on presents for people I kind of like, I'm going to get my finances together and, and start to kind of get that going in the new year. But one of the goals I promise that you will not make for 2018 is this, I want to be more ordinary in 2018 than I was in 2017. You, you might make a goal for weight loss. You might make a goal for uh, something that you want to do, projects you want to get done. You may have some, some, some goals for self-improvement. But probably nobody, as you're thinking through your 2018, is saying, you know what? If I could get through 2018 and be known as more ordinary than I was at the beginning of the year, it was a successful year. Nobody's doing that because none of us want to be ordinary. We might say, oh, I don't care what other people think. But at the end of the day, we care what people think. And, and that's why when we take pictures, we might take five of them to, give our, to show people the spontaneous moment we had with Instagram. But we want to make sure that picture looks perfect. So we take several because we don't want to look ordinary. We don't want to buy ordinary. If you go to the store and there's a product that has like the old wrapper and there's the same exact product but it says new version or updated or upgraded, you're like, oh, I'm definitely getting the new one. Might be the exact same thing, but if, if they put a sticker on it that says upgraded, it's like, oh, man, I don't want the normal. I want the new. I, I, I don't want the ordinary. I want the extraordinary, the newest thing. You don't want to marry ordinary. That's why you didn't look across the room if you're a guy and say, you know what, let me find the girl that is the most ordinary, that looks the worst, that is really boring to be with, and I'm setting my sights on her. Of course not. When I was in college, I, I did the opposite, I, I, just like you probably did. I was like, like, what girl on this campus is the most beautiful to me? Because uh, I want to spend the rest of my life with somebody that, that I like, that's beautiful, that's extraordinary. And I found this girl named Lori Gledhill. And she didn't find me at all for a few months. Uh, but I stalked her and chased her. I mean, it would be known as stalking today. Back then it was just good work. Uh, but I, I saw, and eventually we, because 
You, you don't want, I mean, if you're a girl, you're not looking across the room like, uh, who's the biggest slacker in this room? Who has the le- who's going to live in their parents' basement the longest? That's my guy. We don't want ordinary. You don't want to go on an ordinary vacation. Like, if there's not mountains in the background or a beach in the background, like, I want to go somewhere extraordinary. But in the midst of our desire to be extraordinary and to be different, in many times we just become like everybody else. And this morning we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon who was honestly subpar even to ordinary. And God used this guy named Gideon who was a very ordinary, just unqualified, didn't have a lot going for him. God used him in a big way. In fact, God used this ordinary man to win one of the most lopsided victories in history. Like, like the battle that we're going to talk about today is, is the most, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny to even talk about it. It just doesn't make sense. But God used this guy that was so ordinary. And as we look through the story, you're going to see he's more ordinary than you even think. God used him in a very extraordinary way. And we're going to learn some lessons from the life of this ordinary man who begins as a coward, who who through the story becomes a warrior, and at the end of the story has, has accomplished so much that the people are saying, can you just be our king? And so we're going to look at some lessons from his life, but before we do, we need to understand the, the history of kind of the backdrop to his story. He's, he's uh, an Israelite, and if you know the history of Israel... The history of Israel is that they were enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years to the nation of Egypt. And God sent a man by the name of Moses and he used another man by the name of Joshua to lead them out of slavery and move them into a land that he had chosen for them, a land that was going to be great for them, and a land where they were going to flourish. But God said this, when I move you from Egypt to this land, there's, there's this one thing that you, is really important that you, you remember, and it's simply this. You are not to worship other gods. Because if you worship other gods, it's going to bring destruction and pain. It's not going to go well for you. And so I'm going to move you into this new land, but I, you just need to believe me. Do not worship other gods except me. And, and like... The movie, if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day, where the same thing happens over and over and over again, that is exactly what happened to Israel. God said, hey, do not worship other gods. And so here's what they would do. They didn't listen, and they, said, they thought they were the exception. And they said, you know what? We're going to worship other gods. And so God brings judgment. And so they cry out, and God brings a deliverer. And they learned, right? No, back to the beginning. God says, don't worship other gods. They begin to worship other gods. Then God brings judgment, just like he said he would. Then they cry out for deliverance, and then God sends a deliverer, and all the way back to the beginning, and over and over and over again, this is the cycle that Gideon finds himself in. He's a part of this nation that is in this endless cycle that they've been in for hundreds of years. And they're on the kind of the bad side of the cycle right now where they are in the middle of judgment. In fact, they are being bullied by the biggest, meanest nation on the playground. 
Gideon is, is in fact, when we, when we come on the scene, he's actually in hiding from this nation Midian because this nation Midian, when, when Israel would farm and they would plant crops and they would work really hard to, to grow and to have food and to do all that, right about the time all their crops were ready to harvest, Midian, the, the nation of Midian would come and steal every bit of their crops, would destroy their land, would leave them devastated, and literally did that for seven years in a row. And so Gideon, when we come on the scene of this ordinary man who God chose to use in an extraordinary way, we find him in hiding. And, and we really can't make too much fun of him because, I mean, look at where he, like the setting that he's in. I mean, he's hiding from this nation that has not come once, not come twice, but year after year after year has come and stolen and devastated. The nation has no food. And now he's sitting here hiding in a wine press. And he's working, trying to thresh wheat and, and get ready for to hide some food so that they have a little bit. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 6, we come, on, we come into the story. It says this. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So they're in, in, in the kind of bottom of the cycle where they have done exactly what God told them not to. And now they're facing this judgment that for them, they don't know will ever end. They, they, they don't have food. Their kids aren't getting fed. Their nation is devastated. And just over the hill is their enemy waiting to come back and do it again. They have no hope. So they cry out to help. Cry out for help. And God, instead of, of destroying the Midianites on his own, which he could have done or he could have chosen not to, he decides to partner with this coward, this ordinary, insecure man, Gideon. And he does an extraordinary work in this nation. He does an extraordinary work in history. And there's some lessons that we can learn from this story. The first one is simply this. God's call qualifies the called. Look with me at, at Judges chapter 6, verse 11, as God sends who we believe to be Jesus to Gideon, as a messenger, and he has a conversation with Gideon as Gideon is hiding. It says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Bezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So you, you come on the scene, and, and Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't, you don't like work with wheat in a, in a wine press, obviously. But he's doing it because he can hide in case the Midianites come. And so he's doing this. He's in hiding. He's trying to get some work done. And all of a sudden, this messenger from God shows up on the scene. And it says this in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, and this, is, this statement's kind of funny, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So either the messenger had the gift of sarcasm or he was looking at Gideon for what he was going to be. But literally, as Gideon's kind of hiding and this messenger comes, the messenger says, hey, buddy, you are a mighty warrior. And, and then he goes on and, and Gideon begins to argue. He begins to whine. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And so this, this messenger comes and says, Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon like totally didn't hear that. And he goes into just whining. And I, and I love the messenger because it's like a parent and the kid's whining. He totally doesn't listen to what Gideon's saying. And he just keeps on. It's like, okay, thanks for all that. I kind of heard that. But he goes on and he talks to Gideon as if Gideon wasn't whining or complaining at all. The messenger goes on and says this. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the hand of, out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon again, he's very polite. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. He says, pardon me, do, do you understand who you're talking to? My family is kind of like the weakest family in the nation. Our tribe is the weakest tribe, and I'm the runt of the tribe. And so you're basically coming to the weakest tribe, and you're finding the weakest guy in the weakest tribe, and you're asking him to take on an army that has been devastating our country for seven years. You don't get this, Lord. This is like... You're asking Barney the dinosaur to take out Jack Bauer. It's not going to happen. Like, this is not, you don't know who you're talking to, and you obviously don't know our enemy. This is not going to work. But then the messenger, who we believe was Jesus, he has a moment with Gideon where if you're a parent, you understand this. Like, he has a look at me square in the eyes moment. Quit your whining and look at me square in the eyes. And he says this, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. What, what, what Jesus didn't do there is he didn't argue with, Midian, or argue with Gideon about his weaknesses. He didn't say, oh no, Gideon, you're, you're not weak, you're, you're, you're not inadequate, you're really, you have all the skills you need. He didn't argue with that because Gideon was right. Gideon was weak, he was scared, he was unequipped, he was unprepared, he didn't have what it takes. There was no argument with that, but, but here's what, what Jesus was saying to him. You're right, you don't have what it takes, but I've called you. And when I call, it also comes with the power to do what I've called you to do. See, Gideon didn't understand that the power to do the task comes with the call to do the task. Sometimes we, we wake up and, and we think about our, our life and, and we, the, the, we wake up in the morning, we think about all the inadequacies, all the reasons I can't, all the reasons God has the wrong person. And God's saying, you're right, all those reasons are right, but I've called you. So that trumps all those reasons. If I was, if I was basically working to, to make this thing happen based on your abilities, we'd all be a mess. But it's not about you. Gideon, it's not about your inadequacies. It's not about your weaknesses. It's not about what family you were born in. It doesn't matter. See, I've called you. And when I call you, I empower you. See, some of us 
we, we didn't get that memo that when God called us to take a step, he also empowered us to take the step. And Gideon didn't get that memo either. And so he, he goes, okay, can you give me a couple signs? Like, I'll quit whining, but could you just give me a couple signs to help me a little bit? And, and he says this in verse 17. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, basically, don't get mad, God, but could you just give me a sign that it's really you talking to me? This isn't like a dream or this isn't like a bad something. I ate too much pizza last night. Like, give me a sign that this is really you asking me to do this crazy thing. And, and God didn't have to give Gideon a sign, but he actually gave him several. If you read throughout the story, there were several times God gave him a sign. But it never dawned on Gideon as he was asking God for a sign. It never dawned on him that when God calls you, he is putting his reputation on the line and he always comes through. See, Gideon didn't get that. And, and honestly, I don't get that. When God calls me to do stuff, and even in my life right now, God's called, called our family to do some, some things in the future. And, and I, I wake up some mornings like, all the reasons it's not going to work. And God's saying, my reputation's on the line, not yours. You just obey. And, and I'll do the rest. And honestly, it's, it's good because if it was all up to me or all up to you, we'd mess this whole thing up. And it would, Gideon would have too. See, Gideon was called to do something and it was God's reputation on the line. And so we, we've learned this first lesson is that when God calls... When he calls, he qualifies the person that he calls. But the second lesson that we learn from this story of an ordinary man that God used in an extraordinary way is, is this. Small victories at home prepare us for great victories in public. See, God had asked Gideon, like, Gideon, you, it's like, how many of you love Karate Kid? Like, Daniel, son, you're going to go fight Johnny. So you're probably going to get, you've gotten your tail kicked a lot of times, but we're going to train you. you got one big fight, you got to win. Well, Gideon had a big fight that he was about to go into, but before he was able to go fight in this big fight, which was his total focus, God says, oh, wait, before you get into that, I have one thing I'd like you to do. Well, God, I, do I really need to worry about all these other things? i got this big thing ahead of me. Can we just skip the small stuff? God says, no, I got, I got something I want you to do. And, and look what he asked Gideon to do in verse 25. It says, that same night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down Asherah, the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole, that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon, before you go take on the bully of the playground, here's what I want you to do. Your dad, remember we talked about like not worshiping idols and all those things. Well, your dad, he, he's pretty bad at that. In fact, in your dad's yard, he's actually got some idols, some images. He's got an altar to a false god. And what I'd like you to do before you go take on the Midianites is could you go tear down all those false idols, that altar, and I want you to build an altar to me, and I want you to sacrifice one of your dad's cattle to me. So I need you to do that. And Gideon, he obeyed. Verse 27, it says this. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid, 
Remember, he, he never lost being afraid, which is healthy sometimes. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So he's scared to death. He's like, all right, I'll obey you, God, but I'm, I'm going to do it at night when nobody else is going to see me. So he goes in the middle of the night, takes some of his buddies. They do exactly what God says. And then the morning comes, and shocker, the people of the town aren't real happy with Gideon. And so they find out it was Gideon, and they, they go to Gideon's dad, like, like, we're going to have to take your son out. We're going to kill him. And Gideon's dad, he, he does some quick thinking. And he says this to these guys that are going to take out, want to take out his son. They, he says this, you know what? That idol to Baal that I had in my yard that he tore down, you know what? If Baal's a god, why don't we let Baal take care of Gideon? He, he's a big guy. He can take care of Gideon himself. He doesn't need us to go run Gideon down. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably right. If he's a god, he could probably do his own work. And so they, it kind of gets him, kind of lets him leave Gideon alone. And so, so Gideon... Again, doesn't understand probably like middle of this big mission to go take out Midian. God has me go to my dad's backyard, tear down these altars, build another altar, make more enemies amongst the people that I'm supposed to be in the nation with. I don't really understand this, but I do it. I'm going to be faithful and see. And this is something that, that all of us need to hear. And this is something that God has used in my own life. It is evidence of God's grace that he tasks us with small assignments before he tasks us with facing down an army. See, for some of us, like we're all about, you know, in our minds, we want to be known for taking down the army. Like we're afraid to do it, but it's, we want to have courage. We want to be known for like the big stuff. And God's saying, you know what? I've got some stuff for you in the future, but I got some stuff for you tomorrow that you need to, that nobody's going to hear about. That honestly nobody really cares about. But you need to be faithful. And, and Gideon, I need you to go tear down these altars. There's all kind of altars and idols in this nation, but I need you to go tear down these two. What? Why, God? And, and here's what's interesting. All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, you see this played out, how God uses small faithfulness to develop people and prepares them for the things that you read about. If Whether you've gone to church your whole life or whether you're new to church or investigating faith, you probably have heard about a guy named David. David's a great example of that. See, before David became king, he killed Goliath. Before he killed Goliath, he killed a lion and a bear. Before he killed the lion and the bear, he served faithfully in his father's pastures. Another guy that you probably have heard about, even whether you've gone to church or not, is a guy by the name of Joseph. Before Joseph was second in command of Egypt, he faithfully served in the prison. Before he could faithfully serve in the prison, he faithfully served in Potiphar's house. Before he faithfully served in Potiphar's house, he obeyed his daddy and went to see his brothers. And it was those steps that God used in his life to prepare him for being second in command of Egypt. The faithfulness in the small things prepares us for the big things in the future. Because in our economy, it's small and big. In God's economy, it's all big. It's called faithfulness. It's different than our economy. And what's interesting is Gideon, and he didn't know this when he did it, 
But his obedience inspired 32,000 people to follow him into war. See, after he obeyed God in the small thing, and, and he didn't understand even probably why he was doing it, he put a call out to gather an army, and this guy who was from the weakest tribe, who was the runt, who had no influence, literally after he obeyed in the small thing, that this small thing inspired 32,000 people to follow him. See, one thing that, that you know and that I know as well is this, people want to be brave, but most won't be brave first. Like everybody wants to be known for being brave, for taking steps, but nobody wants to go first. And Gideon went first. He didn't even know what he was doing. He was just obeying God. And now as people saw the bravery of this guy that honestly was probably scared the whole time he was doing it, it inspired many other people that knew they needed to take a step to follow because they didn't want to be brave first, but they wanted to be brave. And so, and I wrote this in my notes. Quiet faithfulness to God's call has the potential to inspire a movement. Your quiet faithfulness, my quiet faithfulness to take the next scary step might be what God uses to inspire a bunch of other people who know they need to take a step to follow, but they just don't want to go first. And so maybe God's calling you to go first. Gideon was called to go first. He, and it didn't mean he wasn't scared. didn't mean that, that uh, he didn't go at night. I mean, he went at night because he was scared. But it was his quiet faithfulness to God's call that inspired 32,000 to follow. And so we, we, we see what started in a wine press hiding has now moved to just some small victories, some small steps of faithfulness, to now he's gathered 32,000. So, I mean, he's probably feeling all right. I mean, they have 130-some thousand. We have 32,000, but there was only one before now. So 32,000 is better than one. And so he's probably doing the math. Like, okay, that means all of us, like the little guys, need to take out four people. The bigger guys, if they could take out five, we'd get them all. And so this is, the odds aren't great, but they're doable. We do have God, so that's probably going to help us. So the 32,000, we can do this. But this is what brings us to the kind of the third lesson in this story is my success is meant for God's glory. Look, look with me at the story in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 2, as, as now he's gathered his, his little army of 32,000, and God has a different plan. It says this, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Like, Lord, I, I know you live forever, but you obviously haven't taken a math class lately because 132,000 versus 32,000. We don't have too many. We have far few. I mean, we need a lot more. And he says, no, 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 you have too many. And God goes on and he says this, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Gideon, if I let you, you guys, you 32,000 go and, and win this thing, because you are going to win this thing, you'll make it all about you. You'll come back. It'll be all about how good you guys were, how you took out five guys each. We'll have an award ceremony. 
and we'll do a token prayer at the beginning of it, but then we'll make the rest of the ceremony all about us. I mean, that's, that's what you'll do. So I got to thin the ranks a little bit because your success is meant for my glory, not yours. This story isn't about a brave commander that, that does an incredible thing. It's about a, a man who was not, not brave, who was actually a coward that had a really great God who did the impossible through the obedience. That's what this story's about. And so I got to thin the ranks so that the story plays out the way I want it to. And so he says this, I'm going to do a couple tests. And from these two tests, it'll thin the ranks out a little bit. So here's test one. Get your 32,000 together. Blindfold them all, not really. But basically, you got to ask them one question. If you're scared, you can go home. And so he gets all the boys together, 32,000 strong. He says, all right, we're not going to look. You won't have to be embarrassed. But if you're afraid, you can go home. And so when he opened his eyes, I don't know if he really closed his eyes, but when he opened his eyes, he probably expected maybe a few thousand to have gone home. 22,000 of the 32,000 went home. So he opened his eyes to 10,000 men. And so now he's probably, he's probably if he's a math guy, he's like, okay, it went from like each of us taking out four or five to now it's, 12 or 13 each, still pretty crazy but doable. And then God comes and says, you know what, still too many. So I need to thin it out a little bit more. The, the 1 to 13, 1 to 12 ratio, is still, that's, that's not a good ratio. So let me thin it out a little bit more. So we're going to do a water test. Like what, a water test? Like a swimming test? We get a bracelet if we pass? What, like what do you mean, God? He says, I want you to take all the guys down to the, to the brook, and I want you to just let them get a drink. And based on how they drink the water, we'll, we'll build the army from there. So if they, some of them are going to go down and just put their head in the water and like a dog lap up the water. And then some of them are going to take and cup the water and just drink it this way. So go down. That's exactly what happened. He says, all right, get the guys that were doing the cup with the water and get those guys together. That's your army. 300 men. So from 10,000... To 300. And oh, by the way, I've got some great equipment for you. Here's your equipment. Want everybody to get a trumpet. Want everybody to get a pitcher. And I want everybody to have a torch. Like there's your, there's your weapons. So you and your 300 men, make sure you're well equipped. Get You can paint your pitcher the color you want to paint it, whatever you want to do. But this is what you get. And we're going to go defeat the Midianites together. And so they... they you know, I don't know what Gideon, if it's like so absurd at this point that he's like, we're just going to obey and I'll die. I'm not going to argue with God. Obviously, there's no way we're going to win this. But hey, guys, 300, let's go do this. Maybe they'll make a movie later about us or something. But let, let's go do this. And so this is what happens. He gets his 300 guys. He splits them up into blue, green, and red team. Not really, but he splits them up into three teams. He takes 100 guys, and they, they go after it. Here's what happens in verse 19. Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So these 300 men 
who are well equipped with trumpets, pitchers, and torches. Blow their trumpets, break their pitchers, and hold up their torches. And in the midst of all of this, the Midianites get confused, they get flustered, and this group of 132,000 that has no clue that there's only 300 people around them literally get so flustered that they begin running around the camp killing each other. They don't know what's going on. And they start just killing their own men. And then they get to a spot where they realize, what are we doing? We're killing our own people. What's going on? And so the ones that are still alive, they begin to flee. And now Gideon puts out a call and he says, okay, all you boys that went home, God said you can come play on the team again. So he gathers the 32,000 and they chase down the Midianites. And it, God said, like, none of them, not one of them, none of them are going to be alive. And so what started in a wine press with a guy who's afraid and is a coward and feels inadequate for, for obvious reasons, he's now taken a group of 300 men equipped with pitchers, torches, and trumpets and defeats an army of over 130,000 men. And at the end of this whole story, if you continue to read, Israel looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, I know like a few days ago we didn't even know your name, but man, would you be our king now? And he, he turns down being king, but you see how the story has shifted because of this one man who probably was afraid the whole time. Like he never, never woke up one morning and like, okay, okay, I feel good about myself today to take 300 men and fight 132,000. He never not, he was never not scared. He never didn't feel inadequate. But yet he began to understand that, you know what, this isn't all about me. It's not all about what I bring to the table. It's not all about what our nation brings to the table. It's all about who God is. And we started this time together, and we started by asking ourselves a question, really thinking about the word ordinary. And my question, just kind of to bring back up for you, is this. Are you okay with ordinary? And here's what I mean by that. Like, are you good with going on a few nice vacations, making, it look, making your life look really good on social media, gathering some of the nicest toys so that, you know, you have all the nicest stuff in your, in your world. And then at the end of this thing, that's it. Yeah, I went to church, gave a little money, but I never stepped into what God was really calling me to do. And see, that's what everybody does. I mean, that's safe. Why not? Why not be safe? That's what we want. Gideon would have, would have loved to just stay in the wine press, kind of stay hidden, get the wheat that he needed for his family, and then hope somebody someday came and was brave enough to take care of the Midianites. But God said, no, I want you to be the one. I want you to go from just being ordinary. Everybody else is in the same place you are, Gideon, hoping somebody else does something. Gideon, that's not what I have for you. I don't want you to be ordinary. I want you to step into what I've called you to do, which will inspire others to do the same. See, 
from this story, I was thinking of uh, how, do, how do you kind of close this up and what are some things that we've taken from this story? What are some action steps that are really applicable to where we're at today, thousands of years after this story took place? First thing I wrote in my notes is this, and this is, this is for some of you in here. Stop looking at your inadequacies and take a step towards what God has called you to do. Nobody's arguing that we're all inadequate. Like sometimes, like we debate, we wake up and we debate, like I just don't have what it takes. You're right. Nobody's arguing with that. You don't. You don't have what it takes to be faithful today. You don't have what it takes to be a good dad today. You don't have what it takes to be a good mom, a good husband, a good wife, a good employee. You flat out don't have what it takes. I don't care what you make it look like on social media. You don't have it. Neither do I. Hence, Jesus. We didn't have what it took to save ourselves. We don't have what it takes to not live an ordinary life that doesn't matter. For us to matter, it takes something bigger than us, and that is Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we, we invite you to be a follower of Christ, not because of how great we are, but how much he's changed us, because we don't matter without him. And so we don't have what it takes. And so for some of us, the application to today's message is, you know what? Raise your hand high and say, you know what? I don't have what it takes. I'm inadequate. I'm afraid. Yes, you're right. We all knew that. Thanks for admitting it. But Jesus does. And that's not like a cute statement to put on a pillow. That's like a statement to live every single day. We don't have what it takes, but he does. And so for some of us, the, the application today is just to say, you know what? Stop. Like God's having a look at me in the eyes moment right now with you, and he's saying, stop looking at your inadequacies. It's insulting to me because your reputation's not on the line mine is. Stop. Second thing. Second way maybe for some of us that we could apply this message is, is simply this. Be faithful with the task God has given you today. God might have something like taking on an army for you in the future, but sometimes if we're honest, we look at what we have to do today and we almost think we're above it. And it's like, when the big thing comes, I'll be faithful. No, you won't. Neither will I. If I'm not faithful today, I'm not going to be faithful in the future. God, in his grace, gives a small task to do today that nobody will hear about, that don't matter on the grand scale, other than God is using them in his grace in our life to prepare us for what he has for us. And so for some of us, it's, you know what, quit looking down the road and start looking at who you can love today. Love your neighbor today. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind today. Step into what God's called you to do today. You don't have to have every question answered, every T crossed, every I dotted. Just be faithful. It's up to him anyway. The last thing, as, as a way of application, for some of us, and maybe I wrote this for myself, stop trying to manage God and just obey him. See, think about Gideon's story. 32,000, 132,000. I'm sure in Gideon's mind, he's like, God, do you, this is not working. This is not going to work. 
God, you don't realize what I have to have to do this. God, you don't realize how tough the enemy is. God, you don't realize how big the challenge is. God, you don't realize how afraid I am. God, I need you to do this and this for this to work. And God's saying, quit trying to manage me. Just obey me. Just obey. Just do what I say. Be faithful today. Let me do the rest. And so as we, we close, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we kind of close up, as we think about Gideon's story, powerful story of an of a ordinary guy who God used in a very extraordinary way. And here's as we, as we close up, I don't want you to walk out of here and, you know, just walk out and, you know what, that was, that was a great story. I'm going to use that with my grandkids or kids. That's a good story to tell them at bed, some great morals in there. That's not what this is about. With every head bowed and every eye closed as the band comes, here's what I hope for you today. Here's what my prayer is for you. Is that you will walk out of this building different. And here's, here's how. My prayer for you is that you will walk out of this building confident in who has called you and committed to obedience. Let me say that again. It's a it's real simple application. My prayer for you today is that you will walk out of here confident in who has called you and committed to obey. For some, you walked in here and, and you walked in here with the inadequacies in your life on your heart. For some of you, you blew it yesterday and you brought that in here this morning and and you say, you know, God can't use me. He doesn't know about my past. He, he, he doesn't understand how bad I am at this or how scared I am of this or how hard this seems to be. And God's saying, stop. Would you just be confident? Not in yourself. Don't be confident in yourself. We are confident in ourselves because we're confident in God. That's where our confidence comes from. Because you know you better than anybody else, and you know you're going to fail. You know your past. You know your inadequacies. And, and God's saying, I got all that, but just be confident in who's called you and be faithful to obey. Lord, I thank you for the story of Gideon. Lord, I thank you for how you took this ordinary really the runt of the litter, even in his family. A guy that probably never got unafraid. He was probably afraid the whole time. But yet he obeyed. And he came to a spot in his life where he was willing to obey you, not because of who he was, but because of who had called him. And God, I pray for those even this morning who you've called to some small things and some that you've called to some big things. And Lord, in our mind, we differ with those, but in your mind, it's all big. And I pray that each of us would be faithful because of our confidence in you. In Jesus' name.